and welcome inside episode 97 of Breaking Bats, presented by Not For Long Media. My name is Justin Ayers, and I am joined by the man himself, Ryan Ripken, back. He's in the palatial estate if you're on YouTube. The background is on fleek. It's killing it. Uh, Ryan, how are you? And and how's uh you know how how's your winter meetings been? Have you been enjoying the the slow winter meetings? Oh, I don't know if I've enjoyed the slow winter meetings because uh, I I want something to happen. I'm on the edge of my seat, Justin. I feel like everyone is. But hey, can't complain. We're back. We're we're chatting it up. We're gonna try to dissect some things. I'm sure today. And uh, what what better than to be able to chill out, relax, and have my piano in the background as we yes. talk some <laughs> talk some baseball. The piano man himself, Ryan Rifkin. <laughs> um, I have uh, some some winter meetings news. Not there wasn't that big splashy signing, but there's a lot of little things that I think are equally as fascinating that I'd love to kind of dive into a little bit. Uh, and then we also have a very good interview following this conversation with Philadelphia Phillies director of fun and games, John Brazier. Stick around for that. Um, before we get to all of that, two quick shout outs to apparel sponsors. You're like, you guys are love them. Zero negative. They empower individuals to find a positive message in everything they do. Check them out. Zero negative.com. And one of my all time favorite brands, it is few will hunt. They have one of my favorite workout shirts ever. It's just a great American company. Check them out. Few will hunt.com. Ryan, we don't do breaking news a lot. We don't, we don't, we're not live enough to do breaking news, but in this recording on Tuesday night, when you're listening on Wednesday, we have a little bit of breaking news and I feel like this would be a good time to dust off the gut reactions. Uh, Alex Verdugo, he got traded from the Red Sox to the New York Yankees exchange for Greg Weissert and right-handed pitching prospect, Richard Fitz and Nicholas Jude Judice. No idea who these people are. No offense. Um, this is this is interesting. There's interesting like five different reasons, but I want your gut reaction. What did you think, and what does this mean for the Yankees? Yeah, the the outfielder that everyone was hoping for that they were getting. Sorry, let me back that up. Everyone was hoping that an outfielder was getting traded to New York, but it wasn't Alex Verdugo, right? So that's where the initial part goes. And the second thing is in division. You know, and, and it's not unheard of, but it seems like the Red Sox and Yankees where that rivalry, it's tense and the fan bases, they don't really like each other, but business is business, right? So the Yankees gut reaction is the Yankees are going to try to make moves. And clearly it's showing that they don't want to necessarily just wait around for and miss out on some other opportunities while they wait for maybe, I don't know, a certain left-handed bat that might be stuck out in San Diego. This is, this is fascinating. Uh, I looked and so before this, there were only seven trades between the Yankees and Red Sox since 1969. So I guess this would be technically the eighth. That's when you think of two teams that don't like each other, you think about the Yankees, you think about the Red Sox. So I always like whenever, because whenever there's like a, a player on the trade market, you automatically just like you're what you're, you're right off the teams in the division. Like Tyler Glass now, you're like, all right, the Rays are not trading him to the Orioles. They're not trading him to the Yankees, that kind of thing. But to see the Yankees and Red Sox come together on a player, that's pretty good. Alex Verdugo is a, it's 100 OPS plus last year, so that's exactly league average. But uh, you put a left-handed bat into Yankee Stadium. Is that just an automatic ingredient for success? Well, we've learned in the past, it's not, it's can you handle New York first, right? And, you know, when Joey Gallo went to New York, that was a disaster, right? But it is so appealing and so exciting, and especially the difference with Verdugo compared to a guy like Gallo, by the way, is that there is some consistency, at least average-wise, over the years, right? You mentioned 264 last year, 280 the year before, 289, 
And this is why I want to bring it up because that short porch and left. Verdugo is at 13, 11, and 13 over the last three seasons, right? So you would think if you were able to put the ball in play and you can use that short porch to your advantage, then there's a good chance that Alex Verdugo's home runs are going to go up. And for the Yankees, you're looking at a bat that you looked at your offense last year and went, man, we got some problems. We have some holes. So to me, this isn't the the big sexy move. But did the Yankees get better tonight with this? Yeah. I, I think that the New York Yankees, this is a move that could end up being a sneaky, solid pickup for New York when it's all said and done. I think you're right. I think I'm also just like now I'm just now I'm just on Twitter. Like Passon tweeted, the acquisition of Verdugo should not take the Yankees out of the Juan Soto sweepstakes because they're trying to add as many like impact bats as they can, which is good because like I they, this flashed across the the MLB Network screen the other day. It was just like the Yankees depth chart, and it was like Judge and right, Estevan Florial in center, and Everson Pereira in left. It's not exactly the Bronx Bombers is what they were like lining up for the outfield. Um, and last year, of course, they had to put Jake Bowers out there and Billy McKinney, and people were just like, get some names, get some guys. Um, this is a start. I think it would be, I would hope this wouldn't be the end. I would hope this wouldn't be the only outfield bat, but the people on Twitter, it's, it's just making me laugh. Just the reactions are like, that's not how you spell Juan Soto. That's just not, that's not it. No, but I, I tell you what, I still think Soto is going to be a Yankee. And I think you have the reports, Justin the rumors that it seems close, but then San Diego, uh, it's not It's not exactly what they want, right? Is, is that what I'm hearing? I would just like to give a shout-out first to A.J. Preller for standing on his morals and convictions and just standing firm in the face of adversity and just really just like being true uh, to his job and his, his the oath that he took to lead the Padres. I love it. I hope he does this forever. I hope that he just like holds Juan Soto in this purgatory where it's like everybody in America knows he's going to be traded, but he's not going to be traded. He's not going to trade him. Um, so yeah, the, the Juan Soto, it's currently just kind of stuck in neutral right now. What would ha- The Padres are, they don't have any money. They're in a weird state organizationally. He's Soto's going to make like 32 mil in arbitration, which is crazy. And he's a Boris guy, so he's not going to sign an extension. So, like, all these negative things are playing in. And then here's the Yankees. Like, hey, we actually need him. This is a great guy. Um, And A.J. Preller is asking for the moon and the stars. Uh, He wants Michael King, Drew Thorpe, and, like, five other prospects from the Yankees. Um, And, of course, the Yankees are just like, no. Uh, So now they're in this weird limbo. Do you kind of – is there a part of you that kind of respects – he doesn't have any leverage, but he's playing this as if he does. I'm talking about AJ Preller. Yeah, man, I respect the hell out of it. You're trying to get the most out of, of what you can. And teams trading for Juan, they have to then – their hope is if you trade for him, you're going to end up having him long-term, right? That's why you're trading for Juan. Unless you're truly saying we're okay with a one-year – if Juan doesn't want to sign an extension, prove it. But if that's the case, how much do you want to give up, right? You know, for the Yankees – if it was a long-term and you're going to have Juan Soto in New York for 10 years, makes sense, right? A one-year rental doesn't make sense for all those guys, but I don't blame the Padres because, hell, you're trading away one of the best players in the game. But it kind of reminds me, Justin, when I think of it, different circumstances, but everyone knew Manny Machado was going to get traded out of Baltimore, you know, and the Orioles were going to trade him at the deadline because he was going to be a free agent. They couldn't hold on to him. And that value in that case, you know, was being diminished. 
Now, they've still got a boatload of prospects from the Dodgers, one of them being Dean Kramer, good kid uh, Dean, you know, and Dean's turned out to be a very, very solid uh, MLB pitcher who I do think is only going to get better. But having said that, yeah, the Padres, you want to try to get the best out of it. So if you can hold off as long as you can, I would until the moment's right. But in the meantime, as if you're a Yankees fan and for Cashman, you got to go screw that. I don't have time to, to wait around. I can't miss out on the bat because we saw that our, our offense last year and just putting it lightly, I mean, the offense was ass for their standards, right? I'm not trying to, to be mean and these are professionals and I see what they do on a day-to-day basis. And I, that's one thing. It's not me knocking big league guys. If you're a big leaguer, you're a damn good player. But the reality was the Yankees offense did not reach the potential or the expectation of what the team and the fans expected. So the Yankees said, you know what? We're not going to find ourselves in that situation, but we are not going to be held at the mercy of the Padres while we try to get this done. Very well put. Yeah, you're right. Because like this might be the case where you might have to get the checkbook out instead. All right. If you don't want to give up the prospects for a rental, completely understand. Makes a lot of sense for them not to do that. The Padres are looking at this though, from a perspective of like, we're losing so much of our starting rotation, like Snell, Waka, Martinez, Lugo. Like I forget MLB Network had like the innings number that they're they're going to be missing from next year, and it's like hundreds of innings they have to replace. So San Diego is like, all right, we still have all these other guys. We really need some like big league ready starting pitching talent. Hey Yankees, give us all of it. It's just yeah. it's fascinating. Maybe they need to read the art of the deal. Maybe he's playing the art of the deal right now. We just don't know it. Uh, but I can't imagine the cash man is loving this. So yeah, let's just go out, get, get Bellinger. You'll be fine. Don't wait around on Soto. And also Juan, please don't play for the Yankees. That would break my heart. Yeah. I, if you're an AL East fan, you are praying this deal doesn't go through because no one would fit playing in New York better than Juan Soto. And that's, I've been, I've honestly have see, said it for years. I've seen him. Can he handle the big moment? Well, if you want to go back to the world series, you're damn right. He can. At what 20 years old when he led them, or nine, whatever it was, 19, 20 years old. Juan can play in any environment. That place is built for him to play there. You just got to hope he doesn't. But isn't it kind of ironic, too, in some in a different way? Padres spent a lot of money and they still didn't get their desire of a World Series even appearance, right? Um, it's interesting. They're going to have to make some decisions. Um, but hey, in the meantime, Yankees got better, man. They really did. Um, Padres on the flip side, though, they want to get better. Um, even though I guess, are you getting fully better when you lose one of the best players? I don't know, but you want to feel like you're, you're setting yourself up for success, at least in the future. I had this thought the other day and I made a graphic about this and I was waiting to ask somebody about this, but bigger disappointment, 2018 Washington nationals or 2023 Padres. They both went 82 and 80. They both were loaded with superstars. Oh man. That is a great question. Cause I was in the organization with the nationals when that happened too. And the, I would probably, because I'd be biased with this, but I'll probably lean to that nationals team. And I'll tell you why, because it felt like, with their rotation that was going to be headlined by Max Scherzer. And correct me if I'm wrong, who else was on that? That it was Strasburg, Scherzer, Zimmerman. Was the other one still? Zimmerman was still, Zimmerman still there? I uh, believe. Scherzer, Scherzer, Roark, Gio Gonzalez, one of my all-time favorite Nats. Oh, man. Uh, Strasburg. Yeah, they, 
That might have been after Zimmerman. Oh, left. Jordan Zimmerman. Okay. But anyway, regardless, yeah. I forgot about Rourke and Geo. Geo in his prime was disgusting. But then I and correct me if I'm wrong too, the the Nationals, I think, were the World Series favorites for that season. I think that they mm-hmm. were. The Padres, although their expectations were World Series or bust, there were a lot of teams right there that they expected to still compete with them. Like people knew the Dodgers, the Braves, right? So it wasn't a shock. It was a shock how bad the Padres played. For the Nationals, it was a shock because not only did you not get to the World Series, you didn't even make the playoffs. And not only that, you fell behind in your division. You couldn't even get a wild card spot being arguably the most talented team we'd seen in the decade. So I got to lean Nats, but where are you thinking? You got that re- that that bias with you with Washington, or you think San Diego? Uh, I I honestly think San Diego, just because we I think you and I did a prediction. We're like, this is it, Padres year. You can't you can't feel the lineup with Soto, Tatis, Machado, Bogarts, and all these other guys that you're just like that they're gonna win. They were so close. They were so close last year. They're to win this year. I think for the Nationals it was different because like they kept losing in the divisional round and like. I don't think at the beginning of the year we knew because Soto came up in May. So it's like, I don't know if we knew Soto was going to be like this gigantic superstar, but sometimes when I see the graphic pop up and I'm like, the nationals have Bryce Harper and Juan Soto on their same team. Um, it, it's kind of like the 2013 Redskins with like LaFleur, McVay, Shanahan. Like, it's just like the great, like, damn, that was fun. What happened? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I was even thinking back to it. You know, I, I, and maybe this is why, again, it's a, it's a bias for the Nationals being in the organization because you could feel how tense it was there. And they needed to win a postseason game or a postseason series. They couldn't get to the championship series. And you could just feel all of this frustration built. So that's where I guess, like, I physically, in the system, all the way through, everyone talked about it. But the Padres, what they spent four players in itself accumulate what a billion dollars for their team, right? You're right. If if it wasn't going to be this year, when was it? And then not only that, you weren't even the in the you weren't even one of the top two teams in your in your uh, own division. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and that's that's the biggest shock. So hey, you know what? It was disappointing. I think we. You're right. Well, uh, not not ideal on our predictions with the San Diego Padres, but. That Washington Nationals team uh, was tough. And then, you know, Bryce Harper leaves, and you think all hope's gone. So maybe this is something with the Padres. You know, Soto leaves. Maybe they win a World Series. But at least when Bryce Harper left, you know, they they did have a guy named Juan Soto, though, that just took the whole league by storm. And Steven Strasburg was absolutely dynamite in that postseason. If history teaches us anything. Next year, San Diego Padres, World Series champions. Although it will be kind of repetitive in every like February, it'd be like Padres year, Padres year. Uh, Let's run it back, so, run it back, <laughs> run the same play. It's the Green Bay power sweep. Uh, all right, uh, I wanted to talk a little Orioles because I've seen the Orioles. I don't think they're gonna be in the market for any kind of large, flashy spending like in free agency, but I have seen a lot of trade targets. Uh, including one former Oriole and, and Maryland native that could come back to the area. Um, I, I have three names for you. I want the most intriguing, like the one that you would be the most excited about maybe. Uh, Josh Hader, Maryland guy, Orioles draftee. 
uh, rumored. I've also seen Jordan Hicks, the guy throws, or yeah, Jordan Hicks throws 100 miles an hour. And Dylan Cease uh, with the sweetest mustache uh, going in baseball right now. Um, which of those would excite you the most to see come to Birdland? Well, I'm going to answer two questions with it. I'm going to have the most exciting and which would be the coolest story. The coolest story is Josh Hader coming back to Baltimore, be coming back to Maryland where he's from and have a chance to hopefully compete for a World Series title. And nothing would be cooler for a Maryland native to come back to your team that you were going around the park or being in the region and then have a chance to win the World Series. That's every kid's kind of dream. You know, and, I, and again, I don't know. I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure um, Josh was a fan growing up. And if he wasn't, he was drafted by the Orioles, you know, and then he was traded away. People forget that, that Hader was in the Orioles organization and he was traded away. Ironically, I think it was twice too, Justin. Went to Houston, then went to Milwaukee. I think yeah, I think Bud Norris was in there at some point. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> he looked yes, up. he was. And and um, you know, Josh Hader, that'd be the coolest. But the the one that excites the most would be Dylan Cease. And, and for me, it's without question because you could get a player, an ace caliber pitcher under control. And I know it wasn't a good year for Dylan Cease last year, especially for his standards. But I think we've seen when he's on how dominant Dylan Cease can be. Now, the question, though, Justin, is will the Orioles really give up all these, you know, a package of prospects, which I think Michael Elias came out and said something, Justin, recently, that no team is more equipped to make a move with a package of prospects than the Baltimore Orioles. That was the first time I've heard really Michael Elias worded that way. And so now I'm my, my brain is spinning about what that could be, but it seems like the Orioles are for real about going for Cease. I didn't hear that quote until now, but it sounds like Mike is willing to make a deal. Uh, that is fantastic. He's just saying what everybody in, in Birdland has been thinking for years now. It's like you have these great top five, top three farm systems in all of the sport where you have five guys at every position that are like loaded and everybody in the, like everybody in baseball wants your guys. And they're just like holding on to them. Like, no, these are our prospects. We, we need seven second basemen. Um, I, I love this. And I think this is the guy. Yeah, his year last year was down a little bit. But uh, I would just think the White Sox organization as a whole was kind of dragging him down. So maybe we can attribute some of that to just wasn't a great place to play last year. Um, two years of control, arbitration. He'll make like 10 million, I think is what I saw. Eight or, eight or 10. And then his last year will probably make a little more than that. But that is well within our price range. And we definitely have the prospects that the White Sox need to help, you know, whatever their organizational rebuild is. But yeah, sign me up. If, if they if they trade for Dylan Cease, I'll grow the stash out again. I think I think that'd be a fan favorite around Camden Yards. I think a lot of people will grow the stash out. If they don't have a stash, they're going to get a fake one. A fake and, one. Uh, and I'm trying to think of the movie. It might have been Starsky and Hutch when everyone's like, that's a fake mustache. And uh, Ben Stiller, I don't know why I thought of that, but initially a lot, there will be a lot of fake mustaches. That is for sure. Um, and the part that really intrigues me, though, Justin, and we can move on from it, I mean, the Orioles or with the White Sox here, they're going to have to make a decision. What type of prospect do they want? Are they going to lower their expectation? Because there are some untouchables for the Orioles, Jackson Holiday being one of them. And I do think that there's a few other ones. I don't think Kobe Mayo is on the move. Sam Basayo, I don't think another guy that'd be on the move, but you got to ask yourself if you're the Chicago White Sox and as well as the Baltimore Orioles, 
for Chicago, are you expecting to be competitive soon? Is it still trying to be in that window now? Because if it's not, that also you could try to go for some higher prospects or higher upside prospects that maybe aren't big league ready, or you're going to be willing to get off of those untouchable names. I think that's just where this conversation is going to go. Um, but it, that this is a move, Justin, that's just right down Michael Elias's alley. Team control, they don't have to pay him. And he can join an already extremely talented young pitching staff with ace-type pitchers like Grayson Rodriguez and Kyle Bradish. If this happens, the Orioles arguably will have the top rotation going into the 2024 season in the American League. I would still like like a 35-year-old veteran on a one-year deal. Just maybe nostalgia for old times' sake. Um, I don't know who that would fit. I don't know who would fit the bill, but um, I feel like we're due for for one more one more 35-year-old. One more. Hey, you never can have uh, enough pitching. You can never have enough good leadership. And, dude, yes. Justin, I swear, everyone that talks about Kyle Gibson last year just raves about his impact as a professional and a, and a uh, leader. So you're on to something there. Let's bring back one, one more time. Why not? Why not? Just yeah. to say we did. <laughs> I did see the Cardinals rotation is all like 30-something plus, so – um, that might be the one to watch if you're into, if you're into veteran leadership. Um, okay. Uh, I did have a team in the NL East that is scaring me. I, I know, well, obviously this should be scaring everybody cause they've always been good, but the Atlanta Braves, they just bought low on Jared Kelnick, Evan White. I think there's another guy in there. Um, but Kelnick's a big one for me because this is obviously like a top prospect in baseball for so long. He's gotten traded twice already in his career. Um, the Seattle times were very bad the first two years last year, kind of leveled out to more of a league average. But um, this is just, this just feels, this is like in my gut. I'm like, this guy is going to be an all-star now in Atlanta. It just feels like Atlanta presses all the right buttons, right? Like it really feels like that Atlanta knows how to get the most out of their players or try to ha- put it all together. Um, you know, Matt Olson was a great player before coming to Atlanta, but then he just transcended into this megastar as well and fit into that mold. So Jared has that ability to turn it on. I think if you're encouraged, if you're a Braves fan, is that Kalenic, he was having a very solid year. And like, yeah, you could say that you can look at the 250 and what was it, 11 jacks uh, on the season. But if you do remember, he broke his, did he break his hand? During the smack in a water cooler or something. So his season, his season, why I bring this up, was abruptly, you know, hindered. And he he even admits hurt his foot. Kicked it. That's what it was. It was kicked, not not his hand. But the point being, this was a really solid year for him. And then that happened and it really kind of hinders that progress. And then he's on the way out. Um, you know, I do think it's a, you know, for the Mariners though, I don't think it's a bad deal. Uh, I believe they got Jackson Coar back in the deal. And the reason why I remember that name so much, cause, uh, he was with the Royals and, um, he had some, he always had some really good stuff and I believe he has first round pedigree. Uh, yeah. First rounder 33rd overall out of Florida. So 27 years old. Could be a really good steal for Seattle, but I'm still with you, Justin. The Braves, 
even Evan White, that's a good flyer. Uh, he's a guy that hasn't really played much in two years and granted not a lot of success when he got up to the bigs, but the talent's there for the dude to, to turn it on. So, hey, we'll see, but I just feel like Atlanta knows what they're doing. They do. Um, another note I had on Kelnick was just like, I saw his Instagram, like he thanked, like every player, like they do like the thank yeah. you for like, he thanked the fans, he thanked his teammates, and then he thanked the Atlanta Braves organization. He conspicuously did not thank the Seattle Mariners organization, the organization that gave him all that playing time. There was a point where he was 0 for 39, and they let him ride. Like, I feel like they were pretty patient with him. They kind of they kind of let him do his thing, kind of figure it out at the big league level, um, to the point where his first two years he hit 181 and 141. Um, that's That feels like there's some bad blood there. That's probably best for all sides at that point to move on. Uh, the change of scenery, though, I have seen in Major League Baseball. Like, that is a very real phenomenon. Like, this, the change of scenery where you're just, like, you're stuck in the same spot and you're not getting it going. Got to change it up. Got to change the vibes up. And I think he's going to yeah. do that in Atlanta. It, it's a real thing. It's a, and it's not just even baseball. Just everyone else, just where, you're, where you go, where your mind can reset. You know, we, we've clean slate, you know, and – yeah, clearly, I'm not going to speak on it because, you know, who knows exactly what the hell happened there in Seattle with why was it intentional, unintentional for the post? It seems intentional. Um, and you never want to necessarily burn a bridge by whatever's frustrating. But again, we weren't in that scenario, so we don't know exactly when, what went down. But what we do know is the ex that clinic didn't live up to the expectation more pressure was put onto him and he's still a young talented player that can go somewhere else and figure it out and i mean justin being from the baltimore area there is one specific pitcher that left baltimore and not only did he have success elsewhere uh he won a cy young and he also won a won a world series with uh the chicago cubs and we're talking about jake arietta and he had a very very good career uh that when you looked at his time in Baltimore, and this was at age 27, you want to guess what Jake Arrieta's numbers were in Baltimore in 2013 before he went to the Cubs? It was bad. I, rem I remember when they traded, they got Scott Feldman for that. That was a pretty. I thought that was a pretty good move at the time. It turned out not to be. It, it uh, was not. And this, I'll I, take a guess on the ERA. On the ERA, he always was in the fives. It felt like. He was a consistent well, fiver. Well, guess what? He had a 7-2-3 ERA in 23 and 2 innings pitched, 19 earned runs, 17 walks, 23 Ks. And then he gets he goes to Chicago, goes 4 and 2 with a 3-6-6 over 51, and then 28 it all turned for him. 2-5-3 ERA, a 1-7-7 and his Cy Young Award-winning season. Um, and then the rest was history. He became a staple. And that was his Cy Young season, by the way, was at age 29. So he really didn't turn it out, turn it around until he was 28 years old before going over there. So to your point, you are exactly right, Justin. See, you know your shit. It's, it's yeah. a real thing. That's so many bad memories. We, we could just do a full pod <laughs> about like all the guys that Orioles let go that went on to be superstars like that. I 
Yeah. Now my now my gonna be rattling around Kurt Schilling, like all these guys. Like we just let him go. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah, and some guys are late bloomers too. So Kellink's only 24. He's very, very young still. Um, it's plenty of time. Not not even in the baseball prime of what is it, 27 to 30 or something. I don't know when they say their baseball prime is, but not even close to that yet. Um Yeah, we got is, plenty of time. And uh, you know, that's why you just never know what happens. You just gotta when hey, you had Ryan O'Hearn on the other day, right? Ryan O'Hearn been around the block a little bit. Didn't work out the way he wanted to with Kansas City. Guess what? He kept working his ass off and had a career year with Baltimore. And now the guy is, um, you know, if he continues what he did, he's going to have a chance to play for a long time and and be a really big, impactful player for the squad moving forward. Breakout season, age 29. Yeah, you're right. Just took a little bit longer oh, yeah. than everybody else. Still got there, though. Um, love Ryan O'Hearn. Uh, all right. I have... From a guy that's young to another guy that's even younger, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers, they did they did something that I honestly think more teams in baseball should be doing this. Like, why not? They signed their 19-year-old outfield prospect, Jackson Churio, to an eight-year, $82 million deal. He's the number two prospect in baseball. The Orioles have the number one prospect in baseball. You probably could have guessed that. Shout out, Jackson. Um, Jack, oh, other Jackson, uh, has played in just six games in AAA, 19 years old, like I said. But for a small club like Milwaukee or small market team like Milwaukee, who's always in the lower third in payroll. um, Yeah, this is, they absolutely should be, every prospect should be that they think will be a superstar should just be locked up because like at the end of the day, it's $80 million. Like that's nothing. If he turns out to be what they think he will be. Yeah. I mean, Hey, it's a gamble, right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. And you, we talked about Evan white a second ago and Evan white, you know, didn't live up to the expectation under 300 at bats was struggling at the big league level. And then he's been hurt. Right. And, but the Mariners extended him with the hope of having it all work out. Then there's a guy like Corbin Carroll, who he extended early and then he goes and wins rookie of the year. And then the diamondbacks are extremely happy and Carroll's happy. He's got that stability. And then the Braves had done it with every single player. I don't know how they did it, but they did it with every single player that that they was young and coming up. But yeah, I mean, if you believe in the guy, take a risk on him because you're going to give him that stability. Eight years, he'll be 27 when he's um, when he's a free agent again, and the kid at 22 bombs at, at his age 19 season. So sky's kind of the limit. I, th- I love the move, and I'm with you. I think more teams and. And also too, when you when you have some of these really young players, that that does give comfort, and that is going to allow them to maybe go out there and and play their hopefully play their best. So I like it. I like rewarding young guys and, and having faith in them. One thing I was thinking about too is just like when people are like, "Oh, only eighty million dollars." Like the current baseball arbitration system does not pay young players at all. And like it takes so long before you can get to free agency, before you can even sniff good money. Like I was looking, like guess how much Juan Soto's made in his career so far? Career earnings for Juan Soto. Cool. Six million. Uh, fifty-one. Oh, fifty-one so like, million. He, yeah, because like our his arbitration keeps going up. Oh, he started at yeah. eight, and then it's up to eleven, twenty-three, and it's gonna be thirty next this upcoming one. But um, it took him. From, until 2023 to make all that money and you 
like how, how many years is that? He's it came up in 18. So it's like spot track has 15 through 23. So like, that's a long time. I think that's eight years. Um, yeah. But in all that time, like Soto made $50 million and in eight years, Jackson's going to make $80 million. And they think he's going to be right on par with like that upper level Soto, like all-star caliber. Like that's, that's such a good deal for all sides. Like the yeah. growers are saving money. This guy's going to make a boatload of cash while everybody else is making like the league minimum through arbitration. Like every team should do this for their prospects and not all of them. I don't know. I just don't understand why, like the Orioles, for example, like, Hey, Adley and Gunner and, and all your guys that are like 24, like here's $80 million. Please stay. Like, why can't we do that? Well, it takes two to tango with that one, right? And depending on who your agent is and you're exactly right. Who's Juan Soto's agent though, by the way, the Boris corporation. There you go. So, and also, isn't it crazy? Soto's been in the bigs for eight years. And he's 25. Like, let think, that well, sink in. I think he came up at 18. So, that's, I think that's, that's five in the bigs, but then, like, the minors, and, like, I don't even know what the minor league pay scale was like, but, like, yeah, it's just, oh, like... Oh, I'll tell you. It took, was not good. <laughs> a lot of PB&Js and bus rides. <laughs> well, and, like, he, he did get a, a solid signing bonus, if I'm not mistaken, coming out of out of the Dominican... And that's nice. But as far as your month to month salary, yeah, it's low. But anyway, the reason why with guys like Soto and Jackson holiday that you mentioned and Gunnar Henderson, you know, the representation, they don't want to settle for any deal when they think that they can hit, hit the, uh, the jackpot. Um, but I, I'm, I'm with you and Adley Rutschman, actually, he's going to one get, he's going to get one chance at a really big contract. So he doesn't want to do a discount just at what age he is. But having said that, for a lot of these other guys, I mean, for what the Brewers just did here, their Jackson's going to be 27 when this contract's over. And if he plays up to his numbers and plays well, he's going to have another chance to get a massive deal right in the prime of, of, yeah. his, uh, of his big league career. So I'm with you. It just makes so much sense, especially if you trust your scouts and trust your ability of where this kid is going to end up going. And then uh, – Everyone can walk away feeling happy and not stressing about what's going to happen with this guy and do we have to make these drastic deals. Now for the Brewers, they go, we have our guy for eight years. Now let's just hope he turns out to be exactly what we want him to be. I guess that is the risk when he's never played. He's played six games in AAA and that's it. You're like, all right, he's not really battle tested yet, but what the hell? He's got the tools and he's got, I looked and it said he had 22 homers and 44 steals across all of minor league baseball last year he's 19 obviously so he became just the fifth teenager to get 20 40 since 1958 and acuna jr and andrew jones did that too so pretty good company like that's that's pretty good uh for only 80 million dollars but i guess the flip side of that is you look at like all right they did that for scott kingery in philadelphia and that didn't work out but um yeah counter counterpoint that was only 50 that is the counterpoint. And it's a risk. It's an investment, right? I mean, this is what every team has to do. You make an investment and you either going to reap the benefits of the investment or it could burn you. But at the same time, if you if you do it correctly, it's something that can set up your organization and the be a huge cornerstone for your franchise moving forward. And that player then is going to have some stability knowing that he's taken care of. So hey. You hope for the best of both worlds. Just the reality is, just like in life, it doesn't always work out the way you hope. It's a good point. It's a great point. Uh, well, cool. All right. Well, that's all I had. Uh, 
now I wanted to send it to my conversation with Philadelphia Phillies director of fun and games, John Brazier. Enjoy. All right, we are now joined by a very special guest, Philadelphia Phillies director of fun and games, John Brazier. Uh, John, it's great to see you. Uh, I love the hat, by the way, too. That is a, that's a killer yeah, hat. 2022 World Series. We didn't. We came a little short this year. Otherwise, I'd be wearing that hat. But yeah, it's been a fun two years. Point. <laughs> um, I wanted to start though because, like, your it, your unofficial title is director of fun and games. You have an official title, but I like I like the director of fun and games a lot. Um, I know you gave that to yourself. Can you briefly walk me through like what like your role entails and like how it all came to be? Sure. Uh, well, I'll kind of walk back. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll go back because it kind of explains. Uh, I was, when I graduated college, I went to University of Virginia. I was a liberal arts major, had no idea what I wanted to do. Probably thought I was going to get into sales. My dad was in sales, brother was in sales. Uh, and I got a job offer to go play lacrosse and coach lacrosse in Manchester, England with nine other Americans. We all spread out and play for different teams. So I did that for a year, uh, basically pushed off responsibility, came back, got in the insurance industry, did that for five years. And then I went to a wedding in Philadelphia and I met a guy who was vice president of marketing for the Phillies. And he was looking to hire someone to be their marketing spokesperson for the team. I didn't know he was looking for someone like that. I was up, I was dancing with a band or singing with a band, break dancing, doing all kinds of things. And if I had known that this guy was going to offer me a job, I wouldn't have done any of those things. And so he, out of the blue, he said, come on, come up to Philadelphia. I want to interview you. I, I think you have a sports marketing background. You have a sports background. Uh, so I went up, the rest is history. So my first month on the job, he said, your job is basically to get free publicity for the team, go around, go to radio stations, TV stations, sponsors, everybody, just get, get yourself known and get yourself on radio and TV to get free publicity. So I think my first radio station, I went in there and uh, I'm in a suit and the, all the on-air talents wearing, you know, uh, Hawaiian shirts and flip-flops. And, uh, and I spent the whole interview talking about my title and why I'm in there. And I came back from the, uh, from the interviews. I said to my boss, I said, we got to change things up. Uh, they're asking me about that. I'm too corporate. I got to get rid of the suit. Uh, my title is just too gobbledygook. I, I need something that just explains everything right away. And we spent about five minutes and we're like vice president of shenanigans. I said too much responsibility on the one end. And then we said, our right, director of funding games and 31 years later, I'm still the director of funding games. So, and I'll give you, tell you something funny, Justin, is that about 29 years ago, I went down to uh, Florida for a uh, conference. It was minor leagues, mostly minor league conference. Some major league teams were there. I met Michael Veck, uh, you know, Bill Veck's son, who's uh, part, and he saw my title on my card and he said, major league baseball allows you to do this. And I said, well, yeah, I guess I got it, did it myself. And he said, can I keep it? No problem. Well, a year later, he hired Bill Murray to be his, uh, his basically partner and ambassador and if you look at Bill Murray's title right now, it's director of fun. So I guess it's, uh, you know, I guess, what do they say? Um, copying as a form of flattery or whatever the, uh, the line is. Well, I guess that's pretty good if Bill Murray is taking your, uh, is taking your title. I was just about to ask, like, when you talk to, like, other teams and other guys in other, other organizations, like, is this, like, a common role? Or, like, yeah. how, how have you seen other clubs do what you do? No. See, when I go to winter meetings, if I, I, I haven't gone in a while, but if, if I do go, there's nobody has my title because usually or my role, I should say, because usually in baseball or even in sports, PR is very uh, it's more behind the scenes. You're, you're you know, dealing with the media. 
and you're you're the you're the liaison between the media and the and the players. Um, well, I, in Philadelphia, the last 31 years, going on all the radio stations, TV stations, uh, I'm kind of I guess I'm a known commodity. So they asked me to come on, uh, and again, that's very rare in baseball, football, hockey, or basketball, where the PR guy is the you know on is on the air. Um, you know, I do a podcast with Tom Burgoyne. He's the best friend of the fanatic. And again, it's very rare in any sport to have a marketing guy. I'm kind of between marketing and PR, you know, host a podcast. So I host a radio show too back home, um, and do a lot of fun things. So. Wow. Yeah. That's a great point. You are kind of like that hybrid role of like behind the scenes and also like in front of like out there in front of the camera doing interviews and everything. When, when people in radio stations and TV stations invite you on, what do they have you talk about the team itself? Like the things the team are doing, like what, what does it, what is a typical, like, what, what are you out there to do to try to get the free publicity? Like well, you said, yeah, I'm trying. So I, I built it out through relationships. So because of the relationships that I've built, um, I've known a lot of these on-air talent for years. So uh, I'm friends with them. They want me to come on because again, you have to bring something to the table when you go on the radio show. Usually I'm on there to promote a homestand. So I might give away tickets. Uh, I, I'll banter back and forth with the on-air talent that I'm usually friends with uh, and, and talk about the excitement of the team. It all depends. Sometimes uh, I'll go on, I guess, smaller stations and I'll, they'll have me on because they know they can't get the GM. Uh, and so I'll, I'll talk baseball. Uh, Anthony uh, Gargano uh, is a well-known uh, personality. When I go on with Anthony, I was going on once a week with him every Thursday on 97.5. And every time I went on with him, I had to do my homework because I knew he was going to come at me with all kinds of stats, you know, real baseball centric uh, things. So I was prepared talking about the starting pitchers that are coming up, what some of the trends were going on, you know, what are some of our guys are doing uh, hitting wise or pitching wise. So I need to be prepared baseball wise. If I go on a rock station or a country station or, you know, a talk radio station, it's it's a little different. Uh, but when you go on sports stations, you, get, you have to be prepared for everything. And you also have to know everything that's going on in the ballpark. So. If I go on in the morning and a fan ran onto the field or we had some kind of a controversy uh, during the game, I need to know that because they're going to ask me that. And I pretty much should know that if I'm going on there as a marketing spokesperson. You have to cover a lot. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, does your role like do you interact with like the players? Like, are you in charge of like, you know, PR helping them get out and like, you know, get exposure in, in that regard? All right. So I a, long, a while ago for the first probably my first 20 years. Uh, yes, I was in the clubhouse every day. I was dealing with the players, setting up interviews, mostly radio um, as far as. And then I guess the more uh, the longer experience I've had, uh, we have a PR crew that does that now. And they're kind of the liaison. But I still deal with the players. Mostly my dealing with the players is because I've been in this market for a long time and I've built the relationships. Uh, they usually I'm usually the one that takes them out golfing. Uh, I'm usually the one that brings in the celebrities. So for the last 30 years. You know, I've been doing that. So they 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 used to come to me with concert tickets, but now that I'm their their parents' age as opposed to their age, uh, they they go to somebody more, you know, their speed. But um, I brought in, you know, over the years, Bradley Cooper and Miles Teller and Alice Cooper and Meatloaf and Hooting the Blowfish and you know all kind you name it. If it's an actor, uh, Bruce Willis, Jamie Foxx. Um, so I think a lot of these guys now see me as the you know guy that brings in the celebrities. So. Uh, it's a fun role, and I've kind of uh, just, again, through my relationships, that's become a part of my job. I'm so glad you brought that up because I was I was reading something about this. Um, yeah, there's a lot of high-profile, like, Phillies fans. There's, like, high-profile people coming through the bank all the time. 
have you ever been like starstruck is that is that even a th- like a concept for you because you're around them so often um you know what not really but uh i'll tell you a couple stories one is uh and this is this is where i wasn't starstruck but i'm gonna tell you where i was so in 2009 raul abanez uh was new to our team we we, we got raul abanez from the Mariners. so um raul came to me and i guess he found out that i'm the one who deals with celebrities and said, hey, John, can you do me a favor? A good friend of mine's coming to the game by himself. He's never been to the ballpark. I uh, left him a ticket. Can you just uh, meet him outside, bring him in, and just kind of walk him around? I said, Raul, no problem. Give me his name and number, or just give him give my name and number. He said, I'll give you uh, I'll give you his name and number. His name's uh, Eddie Vetter. He's in a band called Pearl Jam. And I'm looking at him, and I didn't know Raul well enough at that time to know whether he's messing with me or not. And uh, I said, yeah, Raul, I, I, I know who Pearl Jam is, and I, I got it. So... And I got to tell you, Eddie Vedder couldn't have been a cooler guy. I spent the whole game with him. He was asking all kinds of really – he's a big baseball fan. Knew a lot about the team. I guess he did his homework, uh, especially since his buddy Raul's on the team. And it's, it's funny. The whole day, I'm walking all over the ballpark with Eddie, and Pearl Jam wasn't playing in Philadelphia. Nobody was looking for, for Eddie Vedder. And Eddie Vedder just blended right in. He had the hat. He had you know whatever, boots on. And, and not one person said, oh, my God, it's Eddie Vedder. Uh, where I got nervous, and, and again, I deal with all these people all the time, so you kind of get immune to it. Um, but one time I just remember uh, we had, I'm a huge fan of Spinal Tap, the movie Spinal Tap, and, uh, you know, Best in Show, and for your consideration, all those uh, um, movies that are basically Rob Reiner movies or Christopher Guest. And I don't know if you know Christopher Guest, uh, who's Nigel Tufnell, the lead guitarist in Spinal Tap, but he came with Michael McKean, who's, uh, who's who's a lead singer in the Spinal Tap? Who was also in Laverne and Shirley? Um, he was uh, Lenny, and I just remember I'm such a big fan of the movie, and I was I, he caught me off guard because when I turned around, he was they were right there, and I, again I wasn't ready for it, so I kind of was tongue tied, and I remember I was speaking really fast. This is early in my career, speaking really fast, and I remember thinking to myself, "Slow down, man! Like these guys, you know, are here as as your guests." So. Uh, but it is a lot of fun. Again, I'm a big music fan. So, you know, get to uh, spend a whole game in spring training with Art Garfunkel and uh, Dave Matthews Band with uh, just a lot of different bands that come through. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's that's some old school references there. I was like trying to keep up. I was like, I think I know what Laverne and Shirley is. And it's like some of these things are. Yeah, but that that's <laughs> that's awesome. I had a question because I've seen this specific celebrity pop up throughout the years. And I'm, I'm the biggest, like, I love It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Like, I think Rob McElhinney is, like, the coolest dude ever. Um, there's two instances I wanted to talk about. One was from the show itself where he wanted to have a catch with Chase Utley. Yep. And then, like, Chase responded a couple years later. And then a couple years after that, they finally had their catch on the field. Uh, were, were you involved in the makings of that? Was that something that you guys in your office was, like, planning out? Well, we knew, you know, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia has always asked us for different things, usually around the fanatic. Uh, you know, obviously being a, a show based in Philadelphia and Rob being a St. Joe's prep guy and, you know, Philadelphia native. Um, yes, I, I, I was involved, uh, with a bunch of other people. Um, one of the coolest things was not this past year, but the year before, um, uh, Scott Branderth in our office, uh, we have a team that kind of comes up with, uh, first pitches for, um, for the world series. Uh, that's totally uh, the world series events are really a, a major league baseball event, but for first pitches, they, they pretty much do the national anthem, Major League Baseball. We control the first pitches, uh, as we should. Um, and we wanted to do an absolutely spectacular uh, 
we did a couple really good ones, but one was we had Miles Teller and Rob McElhenney, uh throwing to, I think it was uh, Jimmy Rollins and Ryan Howard, which is, uh, or no, it's Chase Utley. And uh, so it was, it was really cool. The other one, then we also had one where we had uh, Bernie Perrant, who won the Stanley Cup with the Flyers. We had Dr. J, who won the NBA championship. We had uh, Brandon Graham, who won the Super Bowl. And then we had Mike Schmidt, uh, which was fantastic to have the, all these guys together. But yeah, Rob McElhenney is a big fan, and he's he's become really good friends with Chase. Uh, Miles Teller, uh, I met Miles probably about 10 years ago at spring training. I'd never heard of Miles, and someone said, hey, can you take care of this actor? He's coming down. As, uh, he grew up in Philadelphia area. Can you walk him around? So I, again, every, and every we stayed in touch, and every year he'd come to a game up in Philly and come down to spring training. His dad was a huge fan. We got to know each other. Then it, it's funny because every year he got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, until Top Gun, uh, we were going to have Miles dedicate, help dedicate this gold star seat in our ballpark. <clears throat> and I remember um, they asked, we we're in a big meeting and they know that I'm his contact. And they said, John, do you need security uh, for Miles? I said, no, we got it. Because I'm thinking in the past, I never had security Miles. I would walk Miles in and out and never. Well, Top Gun had come out like two weeks earlier. And sure enough, Miles, I, I walk him into the concourse and about 200 uh, women come flying in and, and started screaming for him. And I had to, with my tail between my legs, I had to text the security guy and say, uh, yeah, I need your help. I, sorry about that. I'm just <laughs> yeah. in the room. So, and Miles yeah. is the biggest. He's he's the biggest. I mean, he's diehard. He'll, if someone blows a save during the season, he'll text me and he's all upset about that. And he'll do that from anywhere. He was in London filming a movie last year and he was filming me or texting me in the middle of the night. And yeah, he's, he's di legit diehard. And he's a good athlete too, Justin. He got in a, uh, he got in a hitting um, down in the cage uh, before a game. I've, I've taken a lot of celebrities down to take batting practice and, you know, unless they're athletes, they're usually not that great. Um, and he got in there with Jake Arietta, had a hitting contest. They were cranking the speed gun up to like 95 miles an hour. And I'm telling you, Miles Teller was getting the bat big time, like hitting line drives. It was pretty impressive. Wow. That guy can do it all. Yeah. That's also just funny to think that like, yeah, you know, Miles, we probably don't need anybody to come with us. And yeah, oh my, yeah, it's every, every woman in America has a crush on him. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny. Now um, I'm starting to watch now that I know him, you know, I'm like, I've known him for a while, but, and I saw Whiplash way back when, uh, but I'm actually watching the offer right now. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool when you you know, when you get to know somebody and then you see him on the big screen. So. Yeah. Who's uh? so who's the best and who's the worst uh, celebrity batting practice, batting cage guy or girl? Uh, well, Miles is definitely the best. The worst. Um, I got to say the worst is Dwight Howard. Um, Jameer, Jameer Nelson used to take the uh, Orlando magic. Uh, and I guess they, they, they do like a road trip to Philadelphia and we'd roll up the red carpet because it's Jameer Nelson um for the whole team so i remember when we had the whole team the whole magic team down in the cage uh hitting and dwight howard was so bad he didn't know whether he was left-handed or right-handed i don't think he'd ever swung a bat in his life uh the other one we had um <laughs> this is actually a really funny story uh this is way back when this is at the vet um i got it when stone cold steve austin uh was big was really big we're talking like in the mid mid to late 90s um Stone Cold Steve Austin wanted to take batting practice. So Terry Francona was our manager. And I said, Terry, uh, you know, uh, Stone Cold wants to take batting practice. No problem. I'll pitch to him. Let's do it about 3.30 before, you know, our guys take batting practice. No problem. 
So it gets about 3.15 and Terry said, hey, John, you're going to have to throw to him. Uh, I got something going on. I got to meet with somebody and I got to do this. Just throw to him and uh, and I'll, I'll come out in a little bit and, and bail you out. I said, no problem. So I go out there. They got the WWF cameras rolling, uh, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin with his biceps, you know, like this. And the bat looks like a twig, right? And I started throwing from the mound. Well, he was playing for the, I think he was, uh, we were playing the Orioles. And a lot of the Orioles are coming out in the dugout to watch. And our guys were coming out to watch. And Will Clark, I'll never forget this. Will Clark yells at me, says, hey, buddy, why don't you throw a little harder? And I looked at Will Clark, like, really? So I rear back, throw as hard as I can, which is probably like 62 miles an hour. I the, I lose a grip a little bit, and the ball goes right at Stone Cold's face. And he and he gets out of the way, and he takes the bat in his hand, and he starts charging the mound. I didn't know whether he was kidding or not. I run to the right field like a you know like a 14 year old schoolgirl, <laughs> and you know he was joking around about it. But the film they're filming it. And it was on whatever their raw the next you know Saturday, uh, so yeah. But he, he and I wouldn't say he was bad. He was just so big. We also had the guy from Game of Thrones, Mountain. He took batting practice, and same thing. The guy's you know ginormous. So um, yeah, he he wasn't a great one either. Baseball is a great equalizer because everybody thinks it's so easy, and then like you go up there and it's like fifty cents first pitch, or you have like a <laughs> like you have some guys that like have never sw- like swung a bat or thrown a baseball. And it's just like, I don't know. It's kind of humbling. I feel like. Um, well, we've had a lot, you- of, a lot of the athletes are actually, you know, we've had flyers, sixers, uh, Eagles do really well. Uh, I got to tell you, AJ Brown, uh, he came out and t- took batting practice with Jalen hurts. And both of them were, well, Jalen, uh, AJ Brown was drafted in the 20th round by the Padres. Um, and when he threw out the first pitch, I did not know that. And here I am telling him my tips of how to, you know, what to do throwing the first pitch not knowing it was the 20th round draft pick of the Padres. Uh, but when he took BP with Jalen Hurts, both of them were uh, really good. A.J. Brown especially. I mean, they were they were hitting bombs. And you get some Flyers guys, too, that can hit uh, some bombs as well. So We interrupt this episode to bring you a word from the official sponsor of Not For Long Media and the Breaking Bats podcast, the original Fudge Kitchen. It is a staple of the Jersey Shore with six locations in Cape May, Wildwood, North Wildwood, Stone Harbor, and Ocean City. The original Fudge Kitchen makes all of their fudge in-store guaranteed a delicious product, so stop by and let them know that Not For Long Media and Breaking Bats sent you. Check them out online at fudgekitchenswithans.com as they are shipping fudge and sweet treats all across the country. Now back to the episode. I like that. You said something earlier that I thought was interesting. Is that like when you were kind of like the go-between, like you were working with the players, you were taking them, doing interviews and everything. Did you have like a go-to guy, like the most well-spoken home run of an interview every single time? You know what? Yeah, you, you kind of when, when you when you work with the players, you kind of know um, based on their attitude, based on their uh, ability to be on the media. I'm sure you see it all the time. Uh, but as their players, you know, I can always tell who's going to be the guy that's going to be my go to guy. And then usually the go to guy is usually someone that's going to be good in media uh, or have that as a as a career. So in other words, um, you know, a couple like Kevin Franson. Kevin Franson was a go-to guy when he was playing. He wasn't a you know starter; was you know a bench guy, uh, but he was up for anything, and he had great personality. So you knew that you could go to him. A, he would do it. B, he would give a great interview where the on-air talent would be very excited about, and he would be like, "Hey, man, thank that was great." Uh, Rex Hudler, you know, who ended up having a, still doing a career as a broadcaster. Rex was unbelievable, and I think that's why Ricky Batalka way back when. And he's now doing, you know, local broadcasting, uh, post-game, pre-game 
for the Phillies. But you can see that from the get-go because he loved doing that stuff. Um, you know, like it, and usually it's kind of the you know more of a role guy. Um, Scott Air, same thing. Scott's not in media, but Scott was he'll do anything. He's got a big personality from the World Series team. Um, and then you have guys that just have that are the superstar status that you knew that if they wanted to, they could go and have that career. Jimmy Rollins. I mean, there's nobody better on there than Jimmy Rollins. Uh, Shane Victorino, if he wanted to, Shane could could do that. Shane was really good. You know, all of our guys. I mean, Chase is quiet, so I wouldn't see Chase in that role. Uh, but I can see Ryan Howard, and Ryan Howard's done some, you know, Major League Baseball uh, broadcasting. So we've been very blessed, especially the teams that we've had that are really good in the 2008 era. You know, we had, as I mentioned, all those guys, Ryan, Chase, Jimmy, uh, we're, uh, Cole, we're all just, you know, easy to work with. Um, and I think it's tough when you're in PR or if you're in marketing uh, for any any sport, if your leader is, uh, I wouldn't say not a good guy, but if your leader doesn't set a great example, then that trickles down and it affects the rest of the clubhouse. And then it's going to affect your clubhouse in the future because when those young players become leaders, they're going to say, oh, this is how so-and-so acted. So, again, we've been very blessed this year right now with, you know, Bryce and, and Kyle Schwarber and, and Reese Hoskins and a lot of the guys that have been lead, taking leadership roles uh, are great leaders and it's going to help, you know, when they're gone, when the next generation of guys come up. I like that. Uh, one of my favorite baseball, like media members is Dan Plesak. And I know he was, he wasn't a Philly for very long, but was he kind of like fitting that mold of yeah. like a guy you could, you could go to? Totally. Uh, Dan Plesak was a, a perfect uh, role, uh, example of that. Uh, and Dan is carved out. I mean, Dan had a very good baseball career, but you know, he played for a bunch of teams. And I tell you what, he's he's really kind of uh, done a great job. And you knew he was going to do it because he had that personality where everyone loved the guy. And again, he just was good on the air. And there are some guys that everyone loves, but they might not be great on the air. He's he's one of the people that can do both. I love that. He's my fa- I saw he just celebrated 15 years at MLB Network. So I saw that today. It made me think of him. I was like, gosh, that guy. Mark yeah, DeRosa, he- like Mark DeRosa, he never played for the Phillies, but – Again, everything you hear, you knew, or Jeff Francoeur. We had Jeff Francoeur. Jeff Francoeur is one of these guys. If somebody says a bad thing about Jeff Francoeur, then the problem is not with Jeff. It's with that guy. Jeff is one of the greatest guys in baseball. And you knew he, whatever he wanted to do, especially if it's in broadcasting, because of who he was and how he treated people and and his personality and his exuberance and all that, you knew he's going to be good at what he wanted, whatever he wanted to do. That's a great one. Yeah, he's, he's great on TBS. Um, you mentioned Bryce Harper. And could you sense like a momentum shift or just like a, a change in, in the Phillies organization when he signed here? Yeah. And I, I think it's, uh, it's very important for a team to send a signal um, in, uh, by, by making a big signing. So for us, for example, back in 2003, when we signed Jim Tomey, that was big. We needed, you know, at that point we had been, you know, really bad uh, since, you know, well, since the strike in 94 uh, or since the 93 world series team. And we needed that big boost to, you know, as we're moving into Citizens Bank Park. Well, Jim Tomey provided that kind of winning formula, and we almost got there. We almost got there. We get to the playoffs 2007, and then, you know, the rest is history. We have guys that that kind of saw Jim as a leader. And, again, as I said earlier, you know, and then that turned into a championship team. Um, with Bryce, you know, by signing Bryce, that kind of showed the same thing, that we are serious in our commitment. And – I told this to his dad. I met his dad yeah, a couple of years ago and I saw him in a, at, during a game this year. And I said, I, I said to him, I said, you know, your son uh, gets it. I mean, Philadelphia is a very unique place. 
Uh, I think anywhere in the East Coast is tough, you know, Boston, New York, Philly. But Philadelphia is a very unique place where, you know, we, we can be very tough on our uh, on our players, but we're also very passionate. We can, we can, as a lot of people saw, especially Trey Turner this year, it can go the other way in a very positive. Uh, but Bryce from the get-go as a, as a major free agent, it's, it's probably the only signing or probably the best example of a si- major signing in all the four sports where from the get-go he was able to capture the Philadelphia's attention and not, not in a way where he's, uh, you know, he's pandering, uh, but it was really cool. Right, right from the first press conference, he's wearing fanatic cleats, right? He has fanatic bat. And you know what? A lot of people say, oh, he's, he's pandering. He's a huge fanatic fan. Um, and then every, he got Philadelphia right from the get-go in his opening press conference. He said, you know, I didn't want to sign a no-trade clause because I want my kids to be raised Philadelphians. If you grew up in Philadelphia, you're not used to superstars saying to the media, I want my kid to grow up a Philadelphian. You know, we're, we've got a chip on our shoulder uh, for good or bad, but we just, you know, and we're just not used to people saying great things about our city, especially a superstar is going to come in to change the direction of our team. And from the, again, since he's been signed with us, he said every right thing. He's done every right thing. He's been clutch. He's been a leader. Uh, he's been a great spokesperson. I mean, I, we, I don't want to say this because I'll, well, you know, I'll just leave it at that. I was going to say we, we can't pay him enough, and then his agent's going to use that. Uh, but we, it's been a great signing for, for the fans, for Bryce, for everybody, for the team, for Rob Thompson, everybody. It's, it's been a tremendous signing. Wor- yeah, worth every penny. Yeah, that, there's one, that's like one of the few like long term contracts you look at and you're like, yeah, that's, that's a thousand percent worth it. You would sign that every single day. Yep. Um, and and it, it was, you know, in uh, Manny Machado, remember it was Machado and Harper. And I'm sure, you know, if Manny came here, I'm sure everything would be great. You know, I'm sure he'd be, a, he's obviously a phenomenal baseball player. But I think Bryce just, there's something about Bryce with the way he's wired that really is simpatico with Philadelphia. You mentioned when players get it and they understand Philly, the culture, the fan base. What what happens when guys don't necessarily get it? Like what what do you think what do you, what do you think happens when a player doesn't fully like grasp on to like what Philly is about? Like how does that happen? And then like how how have you kind of seen that play out? Um, you know, I, I guess if they're uh, and I can't really think of anybody in my that's coming immediately to mind, but I guess if you're too sensitive or if you um, you know, I'll give you a perfect example on the good side. Alec Bohm, as you remember, two years ago, Alec Bohm made three errors in a game and he got booed and he was caught on camera saying, you know, something like, I hate this blank in place. Um, and next, thing you know, the cameras pick it up and it becomes, well, Alec Bohm addressed the media right there said, I shouldn't have said that. You know, I was wrong. I was in the heat of a moment. And from that point on, he, he, he accepted it. He acknowledged it and he was ready to move on. And the fans are ready to move on. And you know what? He 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 became a fan favorite after that because I think he people knew that he was accountable. Um, so Mitch Williams, Mitch Williams uh, gives up the home run ball to Joe Carter, right? You would think you would think he'd be a Bill Buckner in this town. Um, and I'm not sure how you know, Boston feels about Bill Buckner, but you know it, it was a big moment where he gave up a home run. And you know what? Mitch, uh, same thing, was totally accountable to the point where. Mitch not only made a home in Philadelphia, but it was on local radio, on TV, um, and people love Mitch Williams. So I think if you're accountable, it's it's fine. I think the ones that that uh, let the emotions get to them and um, let the city get to them uh, in a bad way, then that's where it usually doesn't work out. And again, I can't really think of anything, any player specifically on the top of my head, but um, if you're too sensitive or you just 
I don't know. If, if you're too sensitive to the booings, I guess it's going to, it's going to affect you. That's a great point. You're, you really are under the microscope in these big, like Northeast cities, like Philly, New York, Boston. Like there's a lot of guys that aren't just like built for that kind of like scrutiny and like every single day, but you're right. The ones that are like, they thrive. Um, yeah, and, I, and I think people just love like, again, like the Trey Turner situation was a perfect example of, you know, where it used to be people saying, oh, Philadelphia, you don't want to, I can imagine people saying, you don't want to come to Philadelphia. They're pretty harsh on you if you do, you know, poorly. But you know what? Now it's totally flipping on its head where they're seeing how much fun and how loud and vocal and how, you know, a part of that team, the team and the, and the fan base is really kind of meshed. And no better example than Trey Turner, where here's this big, you know, we signed him to do a huge contract and he, and he wasn't performing up to his standards, right, to the first couple of months. And I think it was a local talk radio host said, you know what, let's give him the support we need him, which is very rare in Philadelphia, right? And they gave him a standing ovation. Well, what happens after that is that, you know, Trey Turner was touched. The team was touched. Next thing you know, Trey Turner goes on a monster tear. And now that's such a great thing where if you're a player now and you're, you're playing for the Padres or the Pirates or somewhere, you're like, man, I, I, I want to play for these guys. Look, look what their fans can do for their, for their team right there. They're, they're one. And that's very rare in any sports city. So that, that's, that's such a great point. That was actually my next question was just like the atmosphere in Citizens Bank Park. Like we see it in the playoffs, we see it in the regular season games. It's just like the most passionate, loud fan base you can ever imagine. Like, can you describe like what the atmosphere, because I haven't been to a, uh, you know, the bank in a while. I haven't been to a playoff game, but can you describe like what makes Citizens Bank Park, I would probably say the best place to play in baseball. Yeah, it, it, I think it's, you know, it's a cozy ballpark. You kind of, but it's open air uh, and you can walk all over. The beauty of the ballpark is that you can walk all around it without missing it. You're not going into, you're never going into a dark concourse to go get a beer, go to the bathroom, get some food. Uh, it's very walkable. We had drink rails along. So you, people you know, stack up four people deep during the playoffs to watch. Um, but right from the get-go, the, 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 it's energized. Um, and I remember when, when Reese Hoskins hit the home run two years ago against Spencer Strider, we hadn't made the playoffs and we hadn't been in the playoffs since 2011. So here we are in 2022 and the fans are just from the get go, you know, because again, we the first series, it was all the games were in St. Louis. We won the two games there. And then, you know, then we start off in Atlanta for two games. So then we come home. So now the playoffs have already four games into the playoffs and we haven't been home yet. Well, there's this building excitement, building set. We already beat the Cardinals. We went, we split with the Braves. This game three is going to be huge. And I remember this, the place was ready to explode. They were just looking for an excuse. And Reese Hoskins hit the home run. And I'm telling you, Justin, it's never been louder. I've never been in a stadium louder than, than that. It was just, it was almost like the top, you know, blew off the kettle. And, and then, you know, obviously Reese slams the bat down and the place going nuts. And from that moment on, you know, from all these other moments from two years ago when Reese or when Bryce hit the uh, home run uh, against San Diego to pretty much clinch it, uh, and just other great moments. It's you know, it's I think one manager was quoted saying it's four hours of hell, right? And I guess it would be if you're the opposing team. It's so much fun. Yeah, I mean, that, does that ever get old? Just like going yeah. to the ballpark every day and just like having that be your job and that be the environment you work in every day. No, especially playoffs. I mean, the playoffs is just, it's, it's unlike anything anybody can experience. Uh, and just, and that's, that's why you work in sports. We're, we're, uh, unless we're a player, we're not working in sports for, uh, the glory. We're not working in sports for the money. 
you know, we're doing because it's something we love. We, we, we're passionate, I'm sure, what, what, why you're doing the podcast. You're passionate about sports and baseball and talking baseball. It's, uh, it is very nice to, to uh, go to work every day, uh, driving to the ballpark, going to your office. You know, you get paid to, to read box scores. You get paid to read articles so you know what's going on. You're getting paid to do what people do in their leisure time. Um, and it's, and to me, uh, to me, the best way to know you love your job is some days in the summer, I don't know whether it's Monday or Saturday. You know, if you don't like your job, you know exactly what day it is. If it's Wednesday, it's two days away from Friday. If it's Sunday, it's, oh man, I got to go work the next day. You know, with baseball, with it, you know, you're home on weekends, you're, you know, people are doing things while you're on weekends, while you're working on weekends. And again, some days I'll be in the middle of the afternoon saying, it's say Tuesday or Saturday. And again, that's a good sign, right? So when, you're, when your vocation is like a vacation, it's all good. I've never heard that before. I'm definitely going to borrow that line. That's such a great, yeah, because you're right. Because it's like, you do it because you love it. And if you do something that you love, it's not, it's not a job. Yeah. That, that's, that's fantastic. I said a couple last questions for you. Um, and we can piggyback off the, the answer you just gave. Like, what advice would you give? There's probably a lot of people out there. They're like, hey, I want to work for the Phillies. I want to work in sports. I want to have, you know, that the bank be my, my office. Like what, what advice would you give to them for, for people that want to kind of do in that same kind of sports vein that you do? Well, the, the, the biggest thing to do is try to figure out what you want to do. I mean, again, when I took the job, I, I was at a wedding. I wasn't even looking to get into sports. I played sports all my life and, uh, you know, but, but if you had told me I'd work in sports, I didn't even, and back then I went to UVA, we didn't have sports and marketing majors. I think only two schools, UMass and Temple were the only ones that I think, or maybe Syracuse had sports marketing majors. Um, so I would find out what, what, what gets you up, what gets you up and passionate during the day, you know, it could be photography, could be fashion, could be, you know, find that, that love that you want. And then if you really love, let's say, we'll say sports, then, you know, the best word network, 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 network. I stumbled into it, not trying to network. Um, but again, I'm very outgoing. So I, you know, I, I guess that's how I stumbled into this guy, but, uh, use your network, use your parents, use your friends, use your college, use your high school, you know, network, 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 and, you know, and be, uh, be aggressive, but don't be aggressive to the point of annoying. Um, you know, there's a fine balance. You've got to be, you know, again, very on top of things and aggressive, but at the same time, you also don't want to be that guy where people's like, oh, this guy's killing me. He's calling me four straight days and I uh, can't take it. So, um, but I, I strongly encourage people to follow their dream if they can try to find, and if you want to get into sports, uh, working for a team is very tough because there's obviously not a lot of people leave uh, our job. I mean, I've been here 31 years and there's 25 people that are uh, been with the Phillies longer than I have, which is, says a lot. Um, so if you, if your job is to work for a team or work, you know, maybe look for ways that are touch points of, uh, of teams, whether it's, you know, the rights holder, whether it's the radio station or the TV station, you know, whether it's, uh, working for a sponsor, some of our big sponsors have people that specifically work with the teams to be the liaison. Um, and if it's working in sports, doing what you're doing, Justin, and what I do, uh, doing podcasts, if, if it's media that you're looking to do then start a podcast, start it, you know, go on radio station, start your own radio station, do you know, just get get work out there and get experience and get tape. And uh, so it's just but again, networking is the biggest thing. I can't say it enough. Just just try to network with anybody you can. I love that. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. There, that's it's the way to do it. It's it's an easy go on LinkedIn. If you find like I, I'm doing some of this stuff now, where it's like I see like a guy doing a job I want. Can I just like get five minutes to like pick your brain and see like right. what you like and like yeah, there's stuff like that. Like I feel like not enough people do it, um, and I feel like it's like one of the most underappreciated things ever. So I'm so glad that was your answer. Yeah. Uh, my last question. Uh, I want the official 2024 John Brazier Philadelphia Phillies prediction. Uh, what what do we think? What do we think for the Phillies for next year? Well, I, I like, you know, I don't think we need to do much, which Dave Dombrowski, um, you know, so far we're a little quiet, uh, although obviously signing Aaron Nola. I mean, uh, of course, everybody can can need more pitching. Um, but I like the direction we're going. I mean, the young guys, Brandon Marsh and, and Stott and uh, Bohm, Marsh, I mean, those guys are all just, they just need to keep going, and I feel very confident. Uh, it'd be nice if, if Rojas can can get his bat going, which he showed during the regular season. He struggled in the playoffs, but man, I, I haven't seen a defensive center fielder like that since Gary Maddox. I mean, he's he's really good defensively. So, you know, um, and it, the bullpen, the only one we're uh, pretty much losing uh, is Kimbrell. Um, and I'm sure Dabrowski right now, but but we're going to have Kirkering for a full year. Um, and, we, and I'm sure that we're going to ha- be adding – some bullpen as well. Um, but you know, for the, for the most part, it's kind of that same lineup who are still in their prime that are now battle tested two years in a row. Um, they know what it takes to win. You got a steady hand in Rob Thompson and Kevin Long are hitting coach and Kelly Cotham are pitching coach. So we're, we're st- stable there. Uh, I just, you know, it's just, it's a tough, the Braves are going to be tough for a long time. Uh, who knows what the Mets are going to do. They've got a big payroll. Uh, so, you know, right now they're, they're, you know, they're looks vulnerable, but at the same time, we haven't wait till they see who they're going to buy. I mean, if they, yeah. if they get Otani, if they get Yamamoto, if they get somebody else, then that's going to change the whole dynamic. So, uh, National League East is, or National League East and the National League is tough. So, Dodgers are going to be out there. Giants are out spending. Cubs are looking to spend. So, uh, we have a lot of competition. No doubt. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's going to be a great, it's, that's a great point. Two years battle tested. Like this is a team that's, that should be right back at least where they were last year. It's, it's going to be so much fun. Uh, John, this has been incredible. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, let's go Phils. Well, and you have to look me up when you come to Philadelphia uh, tickets on, on my, on me. Oh my gosh. I would love that. You're the man. And before we get out of here, a special thank you to the band stick figure for allowing us to use today's intro and outro music.